October is Nobel Prize season in Scandinavia, and just hours ago, the winners were announced on the medicine category. Yeah, new this morning, scientists Caitlin Carrico from Hungary and Drew Wiseman from the U.S. are the 2023 Nobel Prize winners in medicine for discoveries in enabling the development of the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. In 2020, when the world shut down from the COVID-19 pandemic, Hope and optimism were scarce commodities. But less than a year later, the life's work of one scientist was able to bring us back together. Earlier this week, that scientist, Dr. Caitlin Carrico, was awarded the Nobel Prize in Medicine for her groundbreaking discovery that led to the COVID-19 vaccine. So today, we revisit a conversation between Pablo Torre and Julie Foudy that we first ran in June 2021. It tells a classic American tale of Dr. Carrico, her Olympian daughter, and a shared will to never give up hope. I'm Justin Tinsley. It's Friday, October 6th. This is ESPN Daily. Julie, it is a wild time to be talking to you right now. You're in the middle of covering... Euro 2020, an event that had been delayed due to COVID. The Olympics are also right on the horizon, also thrown into flux by the coronavirus pandemic. Mm -hmm. But you have this documentary feature that you've been preparing for E60 that feels like it sits at the center of this entire messy Venn diagram. It is about sports. It is about science. It is about the pandemic and the Olympics and one particular family. This, first of all, Pablo, is a gift of a story. It's a reporter's dream. Julie Foudy is an Olympic and World Cup champion with the U.S. women's national team. And now she's a soccer commentator and reporter for ESPN. You have a mom who is a scientist who has toiled for decades on something that she believes deeply in and this technology that led to the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine that the scientific community took so long to understand. You have a daughter who's an athlete who doesn't realize her full potential until later in life and their combined journey and a willingness to grind it out in the best of ways and just figure it out along the way has literally changed the world and saved millions of lives. Perseverance, that's pretty much my, my life, my family's life in a nutshell. <laughs> and you spent time talking to these two women about their stories that are so entwined, Julie. There's Susan Francia, the daughter of the family, and this world-class rower. Defying the odds and trying to keep forging ahead even when all sorts of challenges are being thrown your way. So I know what that's like in sports. My mom has lived that in science. A lot of ups and downs, then you really appreciate those, those ups. And her mother, Dr. Kate Carrico, a biochemist who has been toiling in labs for decades, and a discovery of hers led directly to the coronavirus vaccine. It was always what we started, we want to finish. What I see in everything is a potential to do the work and what it could mean for others. So I know the story will culminate 
in the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine as well. These are things that we can draw a straight line from Dr. Carrico. But the beginning of this story, where would you start that? The story actually starts in communist Hungary, where she was born. And and it starts in in, in the 80s, really, because she gets her PhD. Dr. Carrico gets her PhD in 82. Her daughter, Susan, was born that same year. I used to tell her the story that I shook her hands and I introduced myself and, and said that, hello, Susan, I am your mother. <laughs> I uh, never talked to her like a child, you know, that always like another person. And, <laughs> and she learned... Uh, some complicated words early on, you know, because I was talking about plasminogen activators and things like that. (laughs) She gets fired from her research job shortly after that, and the funding is pulled for her to do her work, and she's out of options. So she comes to America. So to get to America, I know this is... Cold War times, Julie. I I imagine it's not just a matter of buying a ticket and easily starting a new life in a whole different place. No, it, it wasn't like that. So in communist Hungary at the time, they really wanted to deter people from leaving the country. And so they were only allowed to travel if you were going to leave the country with $50 on them. So, and this is the first part of the amazing story, is they decide that they're going to sell their car on the black market and they get about $1,200 for this. And so they sew it into Susan, their daughter, who's two and a half at the time, her teddy bear. (laughs) Literally, they talk about performing this operation on the back of the teddy bear because they said, look, no one's going to look at Susan. And Susan is now the smuggler. (laughs) Exactly. With the cute little teddy bear. So my parents laughed at like I was they're like, oh, she's the smuggler. She's the criminal. <laughs> um, it's uh, definitely, you know, it brings up some emotions for me because it really just shows where we came from and the risk that my parents were willing to take to make for a better life. So you have this family. You have Dr. Carrico, a Ph.D. in biochemistry. You have her husband, Bella. You have their daughter, Susan. And when they get there, of course, there isn't a ton of career prospects in the 1980s. There's not a lot of money for them. Was this something that was crushing? Did they notice how hard all of this was? Dr. Carrico's background in Hungary is, and she says it very matter of fact, I had a wonderful upbringing in Hungary, but we didn't have running water. We didn't have electricity. My dad was a butcher and it was a very happy and very simple upbringing. And so when she gets to America and they're, you know, struggling to to make it work with a, a young daughter and Susan, it was like, this is what we do. And then my husband, he had to do odd jobs, cut grass and clean windows and what the, whatever job was available. And I went to the university to work. What did dad do? So he started working at the apartment complex that we moved to, and he still works at that same um, apartment complex. 30-some years. So Dr. Carrico eventually winds up at the University of Pennsylvania, Julie, and that's where she really starts to focus 
on her theories about messenger RNA, mm-hmm. mRNA. How would you describe how that went early on? Well, just a little background, and I'm not a scientist, so you're going to get the layman's version of this on mRNA, but it's essentially, and what she felt is it could be used to tell cells to do anything. So, for example, for the COVID vaccine, if you inject mRNA into your body, your cells start producing this spike protein that the real virus uses to infect you and your body detects this new protein and it recognizes it as a foreign threat and it starts producing antibodies to fight it. The problem, though, being that when they were first testing this synthetic mRNA, it produced a dangerous inflammatory response in animals. And that was really the hiccup. So her path at Penn, I know it wasn't smooth, Julie. How would you describe the setbacks that she was facing? Well, so much of a lab's existence at universities, of course, depends on grant money and Dr. Kariga was having a really hard time getting grants accepted. And so she just kept getting rejection after rejection. And University of Pennsylvania actually demoted her to instructor. And in the world of academia, that is a huge demotion. She says it as, you know, there were times where I, was, I wasn't even making as much as the lab technician next to me. And that would be enough struggle on its own, Julie, but I know that wasn't the only thing that this household was facing at the time. No. First, Dr. Carrico has a cancer scare, and while she's dealing with this, her husband Bella discovers that he needs to go back to Hungary to deal with a visa green card issue. And he's actually forced to stay in Hungary during all of this. And so Dr. Carrico and Susan actually drive down to the White House to protest that dad and the husband is still stuck in Hungary. Oh, I, I had a breast tumor, but it was not malignant turned out. But actually, day after the operation, my husband get the notification that he has to go to Hungary to pick, pick up the green card. And so he were not eligible to return. So he was stuck in Hungary, and I was here with Susan. She was playing in a tenor saxophone, and then we went to protest against it. My husband couldn't come back, and we went to the White House. <laughs> in front of the White House, we had to ask permission and everything, and then she played in front of the White House. <laughs> Her career seems to be on the verge of breaking two. What does she do in the lab? How does she approach her life's work as it is now at risk in a real way? This is the amazing part of Dr. Carrico that when you hear these stories, it gives you the goosebumps because what she does is she just carries on. I don't know if she would be in the same position she is in right now of having mRNA be a platform if she hadn't been demoted Because then it was like, all right, hey, then no one cares about my title. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Then, Spending, you know, 12, 15, 20 hours a day in the lab because she's convinced she's correct. So it feels important to point out that this is the mid 90s. It is not the easiest time to be a woman scientist. 
It's not the easiest time to be an immigrant. And how difficult was this all for the family to navigate? You know, they, again, amazingly talk about how hard it was, but in such a matter of fact way that this is this is part of the journey. This is part of the process. This is, you know, America in the 90s and I'm a woman and I'm an immigrant and, you know, I'm not even getting recognized on some of the research that they're putting forward. They actually applied for a patent for what they had discovered with synthetic mRNA and Dr. Carico wasn't listed on the top of that. She actually had to bring it up and say, hey, I I should get top billing on this. It was pretty tough. My mom would have these great discoveries and she'd be so excited and then there'd be a little bit of bureaucracy or someone who would put her down. And when I went to a conference actually and gave a lecture about the modified RNA, and uh, after the lecture, another female scientist asked me that, who is your supervisor? And I said, do I need one? So in the background, while all of this is happening, is young Susan, the teddy bear-carrying daughter of (laughs) Dr. Carrico, who is now growing up, and growing up very literally. I mean, she becomes 6'2 in high school, Mm -hmm. and she's trying to figure out what she's going to do with her life. How was sports for Susan as she started out? Yeah, when you look at Susan at 6'2 in high school and you see her, she's strong. You know, I'm thinking she is crushing it in high school. (laughs) And so You can smell a former jock, Julie. You're like, clearly, you clearly had something going. Oh, my God. Look at this body. That is this gift. And (laughs) she she goes, "Mm, not so much. I won a lot of most improved and most spirited trophies. That was the big joke in the family is you got a lot of most spirited trophies, Susan. Well done. What was Dr. Carrico like as a sports parent, like on the sidelines? Dr. Carrico, according to Susan, was very intense and to the point where... Now, Bell is back, of course, from Hungary. He's gotten all his visa issues resolved. And when they would show up at games, Dr. Carrico would start screaming in Hungarian (laughs) as well. (laughs) She would just be yelling so loudly in Hungarian. And it was really great. Our coach, who had no idea what was going on, would be like, hey, I don't know what she's saying. And then after a while, I actually banned her from coming to my games. (laughs) I said, no, only dad can come to the games. And they laugh about it, of course, now. All right, coming up, Susan breaks through as an athlete. And Dr. Carrico gets her breakthrough in the lab. The NFL schedule drops this week, kiddos, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live.
So now we're in the year 2000, Julie, and Dr. Kariko is still toiling away in her lab. And Susan is now at the University of Pennsylvania herself as a student, not an athlete, but just like a normal normie student. Well, as fate would have it, there is a flyer going around campus recruiting rowers. And she's thinking, well, I'm tall. And why not give it a try? So Susan actually begins rowing her sophomore year at UPenn. And by the time she's a senior, she's an All-American, Pablo. So she is finally discovering her athletic potential. And by 2005, when she's 23, she gets invited to row with the U.S. national team. The gap is not closing. In fact, as I say that, the Americans just push again and they are going to take this by the best part of three quarters of a length. And the USA come home to take the women's eights. The gold medal goes to America. Once I graduated, from Penn, my parents were like, all right, you got that great job. And I was like, yeah, I got that job offer, but um, actually I think I'm gonna go try out for the US Olympic team. And they were like, hmm, most spirited? Are you sure? Are you sure you're gonna try out for the Olympics? So they, they let me go. And then after I made the team and then kept making the team, then they were like, all right, great, all in, let's do this. And they they were supportive through that whole Olympic journey. So her daughter is now one of the best rowers in the United States. She's a member of the national team. And meanwhile, in 2005 now, Dr. Carrico finally has a breakthrough in the lab with her research partner, Dr. Drew Wiseman. What is the breakthrough in question? So... As you can recall, Pablo, the real issue with synthetic mRNA was the body was rejecting it. Finally, in 2005, Dr. Weissman and Dr. Carrico discovered that if you added a molecule to that synthetic mRNA called pseudouridine, it actually eliminated that dangerous inflammatory response in the body. And she called that moment magic. When they made that discovery, my mom then realized, like, what an impact this really could have on, you know, healing and also how it was probably going to totally upset the pharmaceutical industry. Dr. Carrico and Dr. Wiseman, of course, thought, ah, this is the moment. Here it is. (laughs) We're handing you this. And to their continued surprise, Pablo, it was not embraced. There is a song, Julie, that you stumbled upon that Dr. Carrico would sing to Susan when she was growing up. And I mention it because it seems like this song, an old Hungarian song, is kind of the essence of this particular mm-hmm. mother-daughter relationship. How would you describe what that song's about? Yes, exactly. The song is about going down into a mine to find gold. And essentially, 
the song they tell me, because my Hungarian is not good, Pablo, the song <laughs> that they tell me is that it's all about, which is their story, you have to go find the gold. You have to get dirty. You got to get into the mine. You got you to gotta roll up your sleeves because the glory is in actually putting in that work. So my mom, especially when it was Olympic selection or, you know, I was kind of down or there were like tough times, you know, she would mention this song. And the song is all about how, you know, the gold is, is shines so much brighter when you're the one who goes and you mine for it. And, you know, that's what I told her because when she was all, all so close to the finish line at the, to make the Olympics and she said, you know, I, I don't have more. And then I was telling her this song. Julie, I have to imagine, you know, we don't have many guests who are gold medalists, World Cup winners, but you are. And I imagine that parable about the grind is something that you can relate to. Oh, absolutely. And especially for Olympians, it's, you know, everyone says, oh, it's once every four years. And, and our refrain always is, no, it's every day, actually. That's this song for them is this reminder, whether it's Dr. Carrico and her rejections in the lab or it's Susan and her determination to make this Olympic team is that you've got to put in the work. All of this brings us to the 2008 Games in Beijing in China. And what happens there? So the United States, for all the success they've had, Romania actually had been the country that had been dominating the women's eight crew race at the Games. They'd actually won the the last three Olympic gold medals. And so the United States come in as an underdog. And Susan walks me through that race. And she says a very interesting thing. You know, you can't see the finish line when you're rowing. It's always that your your back is to the finish line. I can't see it, but I can sense that we're there, that we're about to win this. And then, of course, the U.S. team goes on to win that 2008 Olympic gold medal in Beijing. Yeah, it's the final race, and um, it's dead quiet. <laughs> and we know that we have 2,000 meters before we could be crowned as... Olympic champions. Um, I was just really excited to be there with my teammates and this dream and make it happen. But I have to tell you that because there were four years before that, um, you know, the every day when she was calling in the morning, you know, sometimes I dreaded that oh, it's not going well or today is going well. Okay, another day. So it was kind of, you know, a, a big relief. And, of course, is a happiness that uh, my daughter is an Olympic champion. <laughs> so I was very proud of her. Yeah, the idea that this is a sport where you are literally going backwards, but you're also, at the same time, racing towards a finish line. I know. And you, when you hear that analogy, when she said that, it was this moment of, 
oh my gosh, and that's your mom, and that's you. You don't yes. know what yes. you don't know. You can't see that end result, but you're gonna put in the work. A gold medal, Julie, feels like a pretty good capper to any story like this. It feels like the end of the movie, the climactic seed. That's <laughs> a good place to stop. But what happens? No, like all movies, Pablo, there's a setback. Susan gets injured in 2011. She said it was very specific. I knew when it happened, she herniated her disc between her L4 and L5 vertebrae in her lower back. And for most, it would be a career-ending injury, for a rower particularly. So... A year out from the Olympics, it wasn't even that like, oh, rowing hurts a little bit. It's that I couldn't even like lift a plate of food off of the dinner table. It was just my everyday. How do the people in her life react to her being as hobbled as she is in what clearly is a pretty depressing state? Well, Susan, of course, and the way she's wired with her DNA and her family is wanting to carry on and fight through it. And her parents expressed concern that, hey, maybe this isn't smart. And Susan was like, hell no, I'm not done. Ooh, the word quit. Yeah, that's that's not um, a word we really have in our vocabulary in the Francia household. And so she goes through 10 months of grueling rehab and she's trying to fight back to get on that 2012 Olympic team and does just that. Once I was at that starting line, I again just felt this excitement of all right, what are we what are we going to be doing today? What are we going to lay down and get this gold? I've done everything. Everything that I could in my power, so let's let's do this. Let's go get it. The power that I felt from all eight of us was just unreal. So we were waiting her to return from the venue and my sister was there also and so very proud, you know, she made it twice. Okay, so with her daughter fighting back from injury to win that second gold medal, I want to return to Dr. Carrico's race to victory in the lab. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. 
You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to say 100 bucks and below. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So, what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. So while all of that is happening, her mom is still in the lab, Julie. So where is she in her work at this point? She makes a huge career move. Dr. Creco decides to leave the University of Pennsylvania for a new startup company in Germany called BioNTech. And this actually is the first time, remarkably, given how long she's been working on this research, where she's paid <laughs> as a full-time professional, permanent position. I was 58 years old when I left. I never had a permanent job. My job is always when the money is running out. The university is not providing zero, not a penny. Only a grant is supporting the salary. And the grant you have to gain for yourself or, or somebody else will get the grant. And then you have to work for that person. Of course, the pandemic hits in 2020 and every technology is being considered. And when the Chinese scientists released that genetic code for COVID-19 in January of 2020, Dr. Kareko says that her and her team at BioNTech were able to design a vaccine within hours. Within hours. And mind you, in the past, when they're trying to come up with vaccines, this is a process that takes years. And she matter-of-factly says, yes, we were able to design the vaccine within hours. <laughs> Julie, I just want to I just want to I just want to sit in this for a second, because this is a woman who has been in the mines, in the mines for decades. And then finally, she turns this thing around faster than anybody on our planet had ever imagined. Think about that. It, I mean, it's insane. And then, of course, BioNTech, because they're a startup company, they partner with Pfizer to go into clinical trials and mass production. And the rest from there, Julie, I mean, that's history. And, and because what happens on November 8th, 2020, the birthday of her daughter, Susan, an announcement comes down. There is some good news from Pfizer tonight. Final results showing their vaccine 95% effective, and they now expect to ask for emergency use authorization by Friday. When you talk to any scientist or doctor or expert in this field, they will say that is a crazy high, insane rate for a vaccine. To get 95% back effective? She gets the A+, plus, the 95% on a vaccine that saves the world. And how does she celebrate this, Julie? She, you would think, I, I mean, I think I would have popped a, a bubbly or a large, you know, 
barrel of wine, but yeah, I would have she- maybe hired skywriters. <laughs> I maybe would have gotten a, a a magnum of of champagne and doused it on every scientist who ever doubted me. I would try to do all of that if that, if that was me. Yeah. Yeah. No. I when I when we asked, you know, what did you do to celebrate this? She's like, and I I ate a box of goobers. <laughs> And I just told my husband that I will eat the whole box, which is like not much because it is a <laughs> movie theater box. Any human being, I would imagine, might feel conflict because on the one hand, she gets to shout if she was so inclined, I told you so, to the entire scientific community and more. But on the other hand, also, like, this is a really, really hard time, and this involved so much of her life that I imagine there was some complicated feelings about all of this. Her response is, look, I am just so happy that we were able to create something that's saving millions of lives. And she went to see some of those first vaccine injections herself, Julie, at a site where healthcare workers were getting their shots. And you reported that it brought tears to her eyes. Yeah, so for me, is uh, you know, the time I cried was uh, when we walk in and then in the adjacent room, there was one is the, like official injection place and their workers getting their first shot. It was December 18. And then uh, the new chairman of uh, neurosurgery was saying, here comes those who invented (laughs) vaccine, and they were just clapping there. And she actually says the frontline workers are the heroes because they're the ones that put themselves at risk um, and who are dealing with the pandemic. Those are the real heroes. They went to work every day to treat patients, and they knew that if they get it, they could die. When does the victory lap come for Dr. Carico? What's she up to now? <laughs> no victory lap at all. She essentially said, oh, I'm back in my lab working on new things now because this is just the start of what we're going to realize with synthetic mRNA and these mRNA vaccines and wound care and strokes. And for example, they're working uh, on the Zika virus, but she said the real potential that she's so excited about is in the field of cancer. And so she's already back in the lab. Susan even confirmed it, you know, grinding away on what this next new discovery will be in this field. So as Dr. Carico's ambitions are clearly not stopping anytime soon, her legacy is going to shape sports in a different way. Because at the Olympic Games, Julie, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is going to be available to every athlete and official in Tokyo. Yeah, again, a full circle moment. And how these journeys and paths have just continued to be woven together, given, obviously, their history as a family with the Olympic Games. It just seems to be perfectly fitting that, of course... Dr. Kariko's vaccine would be the ones that they use for those officials and athletes in Tokyo. So, Julie, as you look back on this story, which is never going to get out of my head as I make my way into the sunlight of hopefully post-pandemic America, what's going to stick with you? Mm. 
One, that how did we not know the story of Dr. Kate Carrico better? And two, the story of immigrants who come with a teddy bear and $1,200 sewn into the teddy bear that Susan smuggles in at his two and a half year old, then becomes an Olympic gold medalist two times over. And all that they've done as a family to make that happen and the work and the sacrifice and the commitment to say it's not about the gold, it's not about the rewards that come from that hard work, it's just that good things happen in life when you put in the work. We lived the American dream. You know, we came here with very little and we were given small opportunities, yeah, and with some setbacks, but every single time we were given that opportunity, we, you know, capitalized on that and moved forward and tried to be the best that we could be. People hearing this story, our family's story, is really that, you know, you can do so much with very little, you know, and and for kids that have a dream, you know, you can fulfill that dream. You just have to put in the work. Julie Foudy, our very own Olympian, thanks for mining for gold with us <laughs> on ESPN Daily. Thanks, Pablo. I'm Justin Tinsley. This has been ESPN Daily. Our show is produced by Bradford Craig, Andrew Hahn, Alexander Hyenson, Mike Johns, Heather Lombardo, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, Andre Soto, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks this week to Deontay Epps, Bruce Baldwin, Parker Owens, Andy Tennant, and Jackson Agello. We'll talk to you Monday.